0: Hello, and welcome to the Craft & Cluster podcast, a show all about marketing your wine brand in the digital age. I'm your host, Heather Danitz, a photographer and social media consultant based in Santa Barbara Wine Country. And today I am joined by guest co-host,
1: Chelsea Boss of C Boss Marketing. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Heather. I'm so excited to dive into today's topic. I know anyone listening will find a lot of value for their wine brand packed into this episode, whether your brand is in its infancy or a well established icon.
0: For sure. So, earlier today, Chelsea and I talked with Lindsay Regan and Byron Hoffman of Offset Partners. They are a brand design and technology company serving the wine industry. There's a really great conversation about what branding is, how it's different from marketing and how to discover your own brand's identity. Chelsea, what would you say was your biggest takeaway from this conversation?
1: Oh, man, there are so many. But for me, it was a real epiphany when Byron and Lindsay clarified that in the wine business, oftentimes the brand mark or logo itself comes second to the wine label as a whole. So said in another way, in the wine business... Sometimes, and maybe more oftentimes, the logo isn't just a mark, it's the whole label. And how that is translated across digital platforms like web and social really got me thinking about how we as marketers are communicating branding in the work that we do.
0: Yeah, for sure. That was something I hadn't really thought about before either, and it was such a revelation. Well, I don't want to spoil any of this awesome conversation. So let's dive into the episode with Lindsay and Byron of Offset Partners. All right. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. And when we get started here, I just want to have both Lindsay and Byron, I'd love for you two to to introduce yourselves. Um, Lindsay, let's start with you. Sure, I am the VP of Services and Brand Strategy at Offset
2: Partners. So, uh, never two days are never alike. Um, so that's part of the beauty of it. But working <laughs> with our clients to really help them, kind of sometimes I would say redefine who they are or rediscover who they are, and make sure that that's then translated uh, appropriately, whether it be in an analog space, i.e., packaging or in the digital space, websites, or otherwise. So um, I work a lot face-to-face with clients and then also act as their eyes and ears when I'm working with the team to um, develop on whatever potential project we're working on for them.
0: That's awesome. And Byron, what about you?
3: So I am the co-CEO and chief creative officer of Offset.
0: And what do you do as um, the co-CEO?
3: Oh these days um, <laughs> everything but um, but i but 'm trying to do less of everything um, so of course, a big part of my job is just you know working with my um, partner Tyson Kelly, who's my co ceo just to um, kind of steer the direction of the company um, but i 'm also the person in the company that 's extremely hands on with just the direction of all of the creative that we do so on a day-to-day, week-week basis, I collaborate very, very closely with Lindsay and work directly with our clients, um, you know, to help them, you know, really clarify who they are and, you know, how they want to project that to the world.
0: That's great. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about branding for wineries. Uh, but before we get into the questions, uh, I, I just, you know, we we wanted you know chelsea and i were were doing recording a separate podcast episode a while back and we kind of got into this pre-conversation before we were recording the podcast about like you know what is branding what does it even mean um and so i would love for both of you to kind of define what branding is so that our audience kind of understands what this conversation's going to be about
3: you know what? I can jump in on that one, but I would love for um, Lindsay to provide a separate answer. Um, so so first off a question, um, did you get a lot of conflicting answers when you asked people to kind of give you their take on what branding is, um, particularly like how it applies to wine? Uh,
0: not a lot of conflicting answers, but a lot of people being like, oh, branding is logos and um, and all that. So it wasn't really, you know, I was expecting people to say, oh, it's about how you make make us feel, but I was like, Oh, maybe that's just because I'm, you know, at a different level of understanding of, of marketing and branding. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people were saying, Oh, it's, you know, it's about logo logos and things like that. Uh, but that was, yeah, I wouldn't say conflicting
1: answers. And I've always been of the mindset that branding is not only the look like the logo, But also the personality. So if a brand was a person, what do they wear? You know, how do they wear their hair? Like, what words do they use? Um, You know, a little bit more of like a persona that has a, a communication aspect and then also like a visual aspect.
3: Yeah, you know, I think that that's a, a really good, useful definition of it. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the reason that I ask like what what you heard is because there's there's so many different definitions of branding, and you know, I, I think that it's impossible to boil it down to just one. Um, and there's a lot of ways of describing it that are that are really convoluted as well, and really don't clarify, especially if you're looking for people to really own their branding versus outsourcing it. You know, even though like we're a company that works with people, helping them with their branding, it's not something that you can just purely have another company to do. There's so much of it that lands on, um, lands on you, lands on your team um, to make it happen. You know, the the best, the best definition that I've ever heard, and I can take zero credit for this is um, if you just simply interchange the word reputation for brand and then, um, to me at least, like that clarifies how many people can contribute to brand. You know, it's not just designers, it's not just marketers. Um, <laughs> you know it's it's people that are making the product like everyone is touching brand. So um, you know, when I get too focused, let's say on the kind of the visual components of brand, which is a big part of what our company does, I like to take a big step back and just think about it as reputation, which also clarifies in other ways, because you can't build a reputation overnight, you can't brand something overnight as well.
1: What I was going to say, Byron, is reputation, you know, when we think about human characteristics and individuals and professionals, like that's a really good way to describe, you know, in business, we always think of like, what is the reputation of the person that we're doing business with. And so Mm -hmm. it does tie back to sort of that, like, you know, if it was a person, like what is their reputation? So I really like that description.
0: Yeah, same. Me too. I think it's a really great way to put it because I, I and and just as evidenced by all these folks who who answered on my Instagram stories, you know, saying that they were imagining branding to be exclusively how your brand looks. And uh and so that was um that's a great way to put it is like this is your reputation. This is who you are. As a brand, as a as a business, is a really great way of looking at it, Lindsay. What would you add to that? Yeah, and I think uh, Byron touched
2: on this, but I think it's even taken it a step further from a standpoint of are you empowering your team to know what your brand is so that they can portray that correctly? So again, you know, do they understand? Do they have a core? Um, belief that you can then portray so that that reputation is solid throughout, i.e. your branding is solid throughout all of um, where it may live.
1: Oh, yeah, Yeah. that brings up a really great question. Um, If I can just riff here a little bit on this topic, Lindsay, what would you say is like the best practice for any brand to be able to help their employees communicate and understand those core values. Um, you know, is it is it a document? Is it like an onboarding, you know, seminar or something that they go through? Like what do you usually recommend to two brands?
2: Uh it's a little bit of an open ended answer just because, you know, although no two brands are alike, there are some core fundamentals that certainly kind of help with the foundation. Um, you know, I think there should always be a Brand standard, and that's not only like your assets, i e. your logos, your colors, your fonts. Um, you, you should have that, but it's also, again, you know, who are you as a brand? What is that persona? Um, and I think that yes, that those are things that can be captured in a document, but especially when you're kind of onboarding team members and those people then need to translate it in an authentic way that they can share with others they kind of just have to be around you, whomever you, the brand is. So I think it's spending time with the key uh, team members, those who have kind of lived and breathed the brand for years, Um, you know, and the industry will often say, you got to go out in the vineyards. You got to get dirty. You got to do all this stuff. It's the same thing um, to Byron's point. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think kind of the combination of having good, a good documentation of who you are, which of course that can't be done if you don't have a good understanding of who you are. Um, and then kind of following that through with um, just time and experiences um, really sets your team up for success. If you don't have that, then you're really asking them to do an impossible job.
0: Yeah. And I had, I just had this conversation with uh, Beth of SIP Certified, which is a local sustainability certification program here. Uh, And she mentioned something similar that, you know, one of the best ways to get the entire team on board is to be open in your communication, to have, you know, at least quarterly meetings, if not monthly or weekly and uh, and about, you know, what, I mean, in in that conversation is specifically about the sustainability efforts of the brand. But I think that goes, that can go both ways. That can go into talking about, branding itself and who you are as a company. And I think that's, that's especially these days, we really need to be as transparent within the company um, as we are without the company, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. It's interesting. One of our processes, what we call our immersion, and um, it's a telling experience for us to get to know a brand, but even kind of Additionally, from a standpoint of oftentimes we'll be meeting with different team members and you can quickly kind of see where there are areas of opportunity for the brand to really kind of hone in on their story when you see discrepancies with what you're hearing, depending on who you're talking to. Um, And these are brands that are well-established and have been around for years. So, you know, again, there's always room for improvement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's um, there's a really great line in I'm not sure if you've if you've read the book Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. But there's a really great line in it where he talks about um, you know honing in on your one liner, your your business's one liner, which is basically your elevator pitch about who you are and how, who you serve and um, how you serve them. But uh, he's he talks about you know. Taking, you know, getting a wad of five dollar bills and going around your company and asking your employees to recite what the the one liner is, and if they get it right, you give them a five dollar bill. And what that does is it encourages them to be on the same page and and um, you know, really understand who you are as a company, what you stand for, what you represent, um, what your reputation is. And all that, and I just thought that was a really uh, lovely, lovely way of making sure that you have the entire team on board, and so you don't have those discrep- discrepancies.
1: Yeah, and maybe instead of a five dollar bill, a bottle of their favorite wine. Since we yeah, want, after you
3: all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to build upon that, I think that it's you know, it is, it is really good that people are able to kind of you know recite like key talking points. Um, mm-hmm. That that said, with With key members of your staff, I think it's also really good to put them in a position where they're responsible for translating um, different aspects of the brand um, into something else. So kind of going beyond like what the talking point is word for word or going beyond kind of like the the foundational elements of let's say like their visual identity specs and like having to, to, to create something that's appropriate for the brand or to work with, let's say external vendors to create something or, or to art director photographer. I think like, I think one of the best ways to internalize brand is to go through a process where you're having to create something that is brand appropriate, but you're not just creating it by the numbers. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, people that have gone through that process, they end up kind of internalizing like what the key components of their brand are, um, more than if they were just, um, kind of
0: reading from a script. Yeah, for sure. Um, Lindsay, what about you? Is there anything that you, that you would like to add to that?
2: No, I think, you know, it is so much about empowering people and just knowing that they've got that foundation that they can build upon. And, you know, it's surprising, um, there's a lot of great things about the winery uh, that the wine industry that we're forward thinking on. And then there's other components that um, we seem to lag from other industries. And this can sometimes be one of them of just, you know, having kind of some key elements in place uh, to make your life actually a lot easier down the road.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I want to add is that I think it's really useful to think about brand as a, as a living entity, Um, you know, and it's, <laughs> It's it's a funny thing, like thinking about the work that we do, uh, you know, of course, a big part of it is after we've taken someone through a branded branding exercise, like we are breaking down, like what the components are and we're putting in a a doc and we're talking people through that doc and like, we're giving them, you know, in in a way, a how to guide, um, to how to create future materials. But Mm -hmm. I, I think that one of the worst things that a brand can do is, is to just, is to stay static and to only work from the book. So I think like acknowledging that your brand is always somewhere in a process of evolution and you know as you kind of like use those different components that have been defined like pay really close attention to what's working and what isn't and they should evolve over time Um, they shouldn't be static and that's that can be a very tricky thing to wrap your head around because there's also um, a whole school of thought that defines branding almost as the equivalent of just consistency, right? same message yeah. all the same time, all, all the time, same logo, same same elements and there 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 is there is truth to a component of that, but if you but if you're if you stick too close to it, you, you can just end up with a brand that doesn't have a life of its own.
0: Yeah, and it's not it's not evergreen. How would you set one of your brands up for success in, in helping them be flexible and grow and, and basically change over time, uh, while still remaining, you know, quote, true to themselves.
3: A good, good question. I think that it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's all about people, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's finding someone, um, kind of on the client team that, that really loves thinking about the brand component, and you know is is most likely in a position to kind of direct other projects, and just just making sure that they've kind of internalized the brand work, um, but but to the degree that they but they also understand that they can move beyond it as as well. So I so I think that it's framing it in the right way when we put together mm-hmm. brand guides, for example, like the 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 second slide after the title is essentially framing the brand guide in that way, like it is a living document. And, you know, usually like if there's a, a, you know, another significant project in the future, let's say like the package gets redesigned or, um, you know, you engage with someone on messaging guidelines like that, this document that we worked on, like can and should change.
1: Yeah. So uh, I say something similar to brands when they're talking about their website, you know, they want to rebuild a website. They want something beautiful. They're looking out, there, looking at, you know, all the different companies that they can work with and. One thing I always advise clients is is not to necessarily think about their website as a start and finish product. Like it is something that does evolve and you know, especially seasonally, like do you have a blog that you're updating? Do you have dedicated landing pages that are gonna be changing depending on what platform um is funneling into the website and you know are you going to have some um, dynamic content that's going to be updated on a quarterly basis based on the seasons uh, I think that sometimes people can really think about their website as you know oh it's done we don't have to touch it for 10 years um and branding in my mind is is similar you know it's like an an a. Uh, Slow evolution uh, through time, and so is your marketing strategy. You know, being flexible to be able to make adjustments to that as things come up.
0: I'm, I'm curious, Byron and Lindsay, what I mean because Chelsea and I have talked about this. That you know, we, you know, we we recommend kind of overhauling, not overhauling, but looking at your your strategy at least once a year. But uh, you should always be looking at it just month to month uh, and and adjusting from there and course correcting from there how often would you recommend a brand look at their brand guide and 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 kind of adjust adjust it
3: good you you know, we, you, know you know it's it, thinking about that like if if the brand guide is set up correctly it's probably something that people at the brand are consulting on a regular basis um mm-hmm. so the process of looking at it will happen organically and, you know, I think that if there's work being done that is deriving some of like the core components from the brand guide, um, ideally the process should happen organically. So let's say like if you're working, if you have a, a brand guide that let's say was a um, kind of byproduct of a kind of large packaging redesign that was done three years mm-hmm. ago, and now you're embarking on a large website project. You may you, you'll likely find during that website project that some of the components in that brand guide serve you well in the project, and other elements don't. And you'll you'll probably also discover that there's elements that are missing. So so I would say that it's it's a little bit less of a um, check in once a month type of thing, and it's more if you're using it correctly and continually asking yourself if it's serving you that the process will happen organically.
0: Yeah, one hundred. Yeah, that's a great point. So um, I personally would love to, if we could uh, just hash this out a little bit. You know, my, my audience knows that branding is important. And when I ask them, you know, what comes first, branding or marketing, about 95% of them said branding. But I would really, really love to just dive into your opinions on this and what you think, what you think about that question. So what would you say? What comes first, branding or marketing?
3: Lindsay, do you want to take that one first?
0: And <laughs> it's a yeah, loaded question. I, I mean,
2: well, and we we're, we're obviously a little bit biased, but um, you know, if you don't have good branding in place, you really shouldn't be marketing um yeah. because then you're you're not going to have um, you know, I think uh, the word consistency might be a little bit of a tricky one, because uh, you know, as Byron and I kind of were the yin and the yang. There should be consistency, but room for growth. And I think that it's the same thing when you think about branding and marketing. Your marketing has to have um, kind of that string of truth throughout it, and that string is, in essence, your your branding. Um, so you really have to know who you are and what you're about before you can start to market yourself. Um, so, uh, yes, branding should definitely come first. Uh, and I think that once you kind of have that firm understanding, marketing starts to come a lot more naturally, um, you know, obviously for some more than others potentially, but you'll just, there's that level of confidence, um, and knowing that what you're doing is true to your core. So that it's going to resonate all the more, and people are going to be able to make a connection with your brand. Because at the end of the day, the wine industry is all about connections.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, that brings up a really um, poignant question for me. I, you know, provide marketing services uh, oftentimes to boutique brands. Let's say, uh, you know, a husband and wife that hasn't hired their first employee yet um and their brand has been bootstrapped and you know from a really um humble humble vantage point where they don't have the means to invest in the amazing work that offset does what would you say is a a good place for a new wine brand that needs to identify that branding component but is approaching it from a more humble um you know space where they're kind of doing it themselves like I know we don't want to talk about DIY branding as like an actual thing because of course we need to bring in experts but to the yeah. folks that are listening out there that are entrepreneurs um, that don't have the budget to work with a branding consultant. Like, what would your recommend recommendations be to them?
3: Good question. Um, it it depends what component of brand that you're talking about. Like, so let's say if it's a kind of small, you know, kind of upstart project, and let's say that they're there isn't currently a brand mark and there isn't a package. So, so those things have to be developed. Um, you know, of course this is coming from our perspective. We help people with their branding and their packaging, but I would say even for someone that's just getting started, um, there's a big benefit to working with, um, you know, either a a small agency or a freelancer on their packaging and through the process, um, Oftentimes, what happens is that you have to answer hard questions about yourself and just just kind of going through that process and having someone else that is kind of more objective, is able to kind of look at your brand with some distance can be really valuable. So oftentimes, like the byproduct of of, of that process is, you know, maybe you're just paying for, a brand mark and a package, and you can get that work done um, relatively um, affordably um, if you work with small agencies and freelancers, um, you'll, be, you'll be challenged to ask really, really hard questions. And then the byproduct of that will be hopefully like further clarification on like what your core messaging actually is. Um, so right. you know, for, for a small brand, like I would generally like not recommend that you embark on a formalized kind of branding process, um, you know, going through kind of all components of your brand. I think that would just not ever match up in terms of budget.
1: Overkill. You
3: think about like very specific point. And if you haven't, haven't embarked on your packaging process, like that's something that I think it's really good to work with, um, you know, again, a kind of freelancer or a small agency on.
1: Yeah. And you know, one thing that I always love to do with my marketing strategies is a SWOT analysis strength Weaknesses, opportunities, threats to kind of identify where you fall in the market. And from that pull out, um, you know, things you're going to highlight about your brand, you know, sustainability, quality of packaging, or maybe the packaging is very eco-friendly. Like those things become a big part of your branding as far as like voice and your communication style. And so um, I think that's where the marketing strategy can really blend with the branding, if you're including in your marketing strategy, like, okay, what kind of words are we using to describe this? Are we, do we call it an allocation? Do we call it a mailing list? Is it just, you know, purchase wine? Like what is the barrier of entry to, to your product? Um, Which is a really common thing in the industry, but I don't know. What do you think about that Byron and Lindsay about, you know, um, for those smaller brands that aren't working with a branding expert um, sort of, folding in branding into their marketing strategy and, and as like a good place to start.
3: I, I, I think yeah, I a really think, good idea. It'll, it'll really, <laughs> run this one.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you know, um, I think a good litmus test is often, you know, think about your back label. Obviously there have to be legalese on there, but outside of that, is it something that you want your name on? Do you want your signature on it? Do you want romance copy that tells a little bit about the story? or do you want nothing? Um, And obviously that's really oversimplifying it, but I think it also kind of gives you a sense of what is your comfort level of messaging, and then you can kind of build upon there. Um, And then obviously, you know, we always are big proponents of your, your packaging isn't the only place that you're going to interact with people. It might be the first, but hopefully certainly not the last. So um, where are there opportunities to speak about different things in various channels, um, especially with social media, there's a lot of opportunity now to, um, represent your brand maybe in a slightly different way than you would on your website or through your package itself. So, um, there's just a lot of different areas that you can kind of talk about yourself and, and share who you are. Um, and there's various freedoms that come with each of those that allow you to kind of pull
3: a different level of lever, if you will. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I, I think part of what you're getting at Chelsea is that um, you don't have to work up a branding expert to get help with your brand. You know, I, I, think that, you know, going back to, you know, if, if you defined brand as reputation, you know, it makes it very clear that, that many people um, own brand. So if you're working with someone, let's say on their marketing strategy, um, they probably should be kind of asking you some key questions that are more about brand than marketing. Just like if right. you're a branding expert, they should probably be asking you questions about your marketing so they can understand how their branding efforts over- overlap with your marketing initiatives. So I think mm. that, you know, to, to do it correctly, like all of the dis- disciplines like can and should overlap.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a, I think about it like a wheel, like, you know, the spoke, the center of the wheel is like this brand concept and like every single spoke like connects to that center of the wheel. Otherwise it just doesn't work. And that goes from winemaking to vineyard to operations, to marketing, to sales, to um, you know, it all connects to the branding at all. It, 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 all works together.
0: Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's like your why, you know, it's why you are doing what you're doing. It's this, this conversation that you have with yourself Probably often, and it's def- certainly a conversation I have with myself very often. Is you know why am I doing this? Why did I get into this particular business? You know, because it's not for a lot of people. And and this was something that we kind of talked about before we were recording. That like when you're in the wine industry, you're not just just doing it to make money. And very few people are in it just to make money because it's it's a hard business to make money in. But it's the It's this, you know, you have to be passionate about it in order to to really um, want to continue doing this winemaking thing because it's so thankless. And so really asking yourself why you do these things and then that will help guide every other conversation that you're having in terms of marketing and packaging and all that. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we've talked a little bit about packaging itself. Um, And I, you know, I, when I asked my audience if they knew what their visual identity is, um, they unanimously asked what even is visual identity? Uh, And so I would love for you to dive into that a little bit and uh, define what visual identity is, just to kind of clear it up. Is it directly related just to packaging um, and that kind of thing? Or is it uh, just... It, it, what is the definition,
3: <laughs> oh, Lindsay? Do you want to jump in on this one? <laughs>
2: uh, sure. Um, yeah. So, visual identity is, is pretty much uh, how the brand is visualized, uh, and that obviously that's an oversimplification. But you know, it, it goes back to your your logo mark, your colors that you're using, your typography, your um, what are you saying on all of those individual things? So visual identity is really important. Um, This is an area where consistency does really come into play. Say your brand colors are red and gold. Well, there's, uh, you know, almost an infinite number of shades of red. So it's always making sure that the the same red is being used throughout so that over time, not only your team, but more importantly, your customers are always associating that back to your brand. So it's um, kind of, building recall for for your brand. So it's those visual assets that are reinforcing who you are and kind of telling that story um, used throughout uh, again the analog or the digital world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And from a marketing perspective, like thinking about it as, you know, you have your brand mark, obviously, but how is that represented on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Clubhouse? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and one thing that I always recommend to a small brand is, you know, just put together um, a document that is, you know, um, the uh, the colors of your brand, the different, um, you know, horizontal logo, vertical logo, your social media logo, um, your typefaces that you use uh, for your branded font, and then also what you use as your web font. Um and you know just have that document that you can easily disperse to anybody that's working with your brand, even press. And I have found that to be really helpful. But Brett, Byron, you were about to say something and I cut you off.
3: Oh no, no worries. I was going to say you know it's. I, mean, I wish there was a better term for it that that just kind of quickly says what it is Um, because I I think that it's it's a really important concept for the wine industry Um, and, and one of the main reasons for that is that traditionally um logos like in their classic definition have not been that relevant to wine um you know and we we do you know of course a lot of digital work we do a lot of packaging work and you know when you're doing packaging work i mean occasionally you'll work with a brand where it's very appropriate to have kind of the equivalent of a logo set in a prominent way on the label um but in more cases than not like it's it's better to think about the entire label or the entire package is kind of the equivalent to the logo versus, um, sorry, I'm in uh, San Francisco and there are fire trucks outside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so so with, so with packaging, um, for example, like you're, you're thinking about the entire package, Um, you know, yes, there may be a logo that you can pull out, but that's not really the point, like when it's in, in context on the package. So the result of that is that many wine brands, especially, You know, anything that was, let's say, created, um, you know, more more than more than five years ago, even um, probably doesn't translate well to the web. (laughs) And, you know, um, even worse to a, a social media avatar. So, so I think uh-huh. it's like as brands are kind of thinking about how their brand exists, like in an analog and digital world, like thinking about their visual identity system as a whole is really mm-hmm. important. And I think that it's also good to think about that in a way that doesn't, doesn't dumb down like what makes wine special. I mean, personally, like I love that most wine labels don't look like logos slapped in the middle of a, of a, of a rectangle, right? Like it really is about the whole package. Mm-hmm. So. What that means is that it, it, visual identity systems in wine, like, usually end up being more complex. Like, there may be the version of your logo that appears in context on your package, um, maybe in a different way than how it appears everywhere else. So, um, you know, the identity systems um, oftentimes, like, aren't as simple as you see in other industries. Like, like they have to include more room for variation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a yeah a brilliant way to describe it, Byron. I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. I haven't thought of that myself as like the entire label because really that's what consumers, you know, f- for me, like I always remember, like the Claude of all label is just, it jumps out at me mm-hmm. everywhere I go because it's widely distributed, especially up where I grew up in Idaho. Um, it's like, you know, I pick it out in, in, television it was on um uh it was like it had a very specific product placement in that show weeds um and Mm -hmm. uh yeah you're right it is like very much the label and how now we're trying to transform it to all these digital spaces that you know you don't have the space to smack the whole rectangular label um on your 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 instagram profile picture so that's really really a cool um cool way to think about it
3: well it's it's funny that you bring up chloe um years ago um before i was at offset i worked on um chloe duvall website a version that's uh no longer live but um you know their their logo um their label which which i personally love um you know we weren't able to translate at a small size to the website so we included it very very large on the header and then as you scroll down the page like we included a fixed header header but um Actually, just typeset Claude Duval versus even including the logo because it was impossible to use. So, um, <laughs> you know, historically, like we've done a lot of digital work, so we've worked with um, and we work with a lot of legacy brands in the wine industry. So, we repeatedly encounter situations where, um, you know, a brand may have an incredibly iconic label, and it would be a horrible decision to to, to change it. But but there isn't a logical way to extend it to the web. Um, you know, so we've had to. Just as kind of an unpaid byproduct of some of those large website engagements, we had to figure out how how, how how to do it in a way that didn't compromise the integrity of the brand.
2: Right. Well, I think the beauty of the wine packaging in whole is that you've got more than just the label even. You've got the capsule and you've got the cork and there are opportunities to do various messaging with each. So it's kind of continuing that consumer experience throughout the entire unveiling, if you will. And of course the wine itself is the most important that's going to get them to buy it again. Um, but yeah, yeah, there there are just so many opportunities that
0: you have to, to work with. How would you help, uh, you know, a new brand kind of identify their visual identity, uh, when maybe they just don't know where to start. I mean, I like, honestly, I wouldn't even know where to start if I were to start a wine brand, you know, and I even had a hard time kind of coming up with my brand colors and things like that. And for, for my own, you know, business, uh, how would you help a brand kind of identify that?
3: You know, if, so let's say, um, I mean, there's a big difference between working with like small upstart brands and larger brands, um, if we're working with like a small brand that's just getting started and let's say like they've never had a visual identity, they've never had a label. um, We would start just by getting to know them (laughs) And, and, and we wouldn't be asking any questions that are direct in terms of, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite typeface? Like we, we don't go there at all. Like it's, it's really just about like understanding what they're looking to do with their brand. And, you know, also at a fundamental level, like something that we're trying to suss out in the beginning with small brands is are they looking to create a brand that kind of sits separate from themselves? And it's, it's, it's more about this kind of constructing this entity um, or is it more of a translation of just who they are? Um, If it's, if it's a translation of who they are, like the job is completely different. Cause like you're literally figuring out, okay, how do I translate this yeah. person or these people mm-hmm. like into a label? And, and, and that can be a really fun process. But, but again, it's usually not direct questions about the visual. It's, it's truly getting to know them. Um, that said, like after we have a pretty good handle on who they are, what they're looking to do, um, we will take them through a a meeting that, that we describe as um, kind of visual identity or uh, visual research, where we'll pull packaging examples, we'll pull um, art examples, we'll, we'll pull lots of different materials, and they're they're purposely not mood boards. Like we feel at that stage in the process, like we should have no idea what they should be yet. <laughs> We're, we're purposely pulling things um, that we know will get a really strong reaction from them. And so then we'll, you know, after we've exhausted them with questions, um, you know, and just spending time with them, getting to know them, like we'll have this meeting where we'll talk in detail about the visual. Um, but it's much less of a lesson on our part. And it's just prompting them and like really trying to understand like what resonates with them and why. And also like what doesn't <laughs> and, and to dig into that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm do you have an example of, of what I'm so, I'm just so curious. Do you have an example of some things that you've presented to someone that has, has pulled like a really strong reaction out of them?
3: You you know, what's funny is um, (laughs) if, if you're doing it right, sometimes it's, it's more of a, of course, reaction where it doesn't feel like a surprise, (laughs) you you know, where it, 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 it'll probably touch upon things that came up in conversation. Um, you know, maybe there would be something about it that, you know, connects to something that we looked at, that we were inspired by. So it, it oftentimes feels like a natural progression. So in many cases, like the best response is when someone just feels, um, like this immediate personal attachment to the, to the work. Um, Mm -hmm. Lindsay. Or you...
1: despise for it. <laughs> you know, we all have we all have those styles of art that we're just like I do not like that at all. And yes. that's so important sometimes knowing what you don't like or what you don't want in life is all you need to know in some re- you know what I mean like it helps guide you yeah. in the right direction.
3: Absolutely. And you know, it's we've taken so many clients through this visual research process and we'll also include, um, you know, a lot of brand packaging work in the wine industry. And you cannot believe how people's opinions differ. (laughs) Like it still (laughs) shocks me. Like that's why I believe even more strongly today that like at that stage where we're putting together that visual research presentation, like we don't know what they need yet. Like we don't know what's, what's going to resonate with them um, because When it comes to the visual, people surprise you continually. Um, Lindsay, do you want to add?
2: Yeah, I would say like one one instance that really sticks out in mind is a couple years ago, uh, within a three-month span, we were kind of doing two different large-scale website projects. And during the visual research, we had pulled... um, several books. And there was one cookbook in particular that one client just like fawned over and was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is so brilliant on so many levels. She could very quickly articulate what resonated with her. Why, um, on and on and on. So it was just a treasure trove of information for us. And then we included that same cookbook in the next collection. And that particular client hated it. And it was just like, I can't understand how this would ever resonate. It's the worst layout. I just, you know, again, could very kind of quickly um, go through why it did not resonate with them. And um, it was just a very quick reminder of how we're all unique and how some things um, just very quickly resonate or don't. And that is so incredibly helpful for us, which is why. To Byron's point, we, we aren't asking specific questions, but it's more about letting people kind of share their their reactions, good, bad, and different, because it truly helps us get a better understanding of who they are, as well as come up with a vocabulary. Um, you know, this is a big point for us throughout any of our process, because what's contemporary to one person isn't necessarily to the next. So by actually having physical or visual things that people can react to we can all start to have the same dictionary that we're working from.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I actually have a a really specific offset question. Um, One thing I've always really admired about your company and the work that you guys do is there's... uh, For lack of a better way of describing this, I don't really know how I'm going to describe this, but each each project is so unique that it's almost like there's no stylistic overlap sometimes, which is in my mind, a huge compliment because a lot of times when you work with a designer, you sort of get like the same kind of feel from the projects. And one thing that I've really, again, admired about Offset is you have you have um, samples of work that are just so different from one another. And I guess my question is like how do you guys as branding experts you know kind of like separate your own personal styles or sort of like feels that you that could make some of your work a little bit more um similar and 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 you know as artists because I believe you guys are artists separate that out and make sure that you know you're you're staying really true to the The project in styles that maybe you don't resonate with or you don't really like. It's just, it's something that I, I've always wanted to ask um, branding designers. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> I really appreciate that, that compliment. Like it's, that's always been top of mind for us with our branding work, like making sure that it is a true reflection of the the client of, of the project, you know, versus, um, you know, just selling our own aesthetic sensibilities. Um, we, we feel that like there is a, there is a philosophy and an approach that, that will kind of make its way through regardless from our studio. Um, but we don't want to, we, we want to like acknowledging that that happens to a degree, like we're looking to do everything in our power to not assert like what we think something should be visually. So I think that the way that we do that, um, one is that, that is, you know, essentially something that I've been a huge proponent about a promote proponent of, and have been vocal about with, with all of our designers, you know, if, if, if I'm reviewing work, um, and it feels like another wine brand, if it feels, um, too close to a particular piece of inspiration, um, we'll push it or, or we'll, we'll, we'll abandon it. So that's, that's just a part of our mm-hmm. critique process. Um, but, but I, I think that like where it really comes from is just, even though we work exclusively in wine, um, when we're working with someone on a branding project, like we, we try to trick ourselves into forgetting that we've ever worked in brand in, in wine, <laughs> so we've never even done a branding project, yeah. we try to like approach it with open eyes and when we're spending time with clients like we're just continually asking them questions like we're not jumping to conclusions like when we're taking someone through our discovery process um you know one of the other things that we do is we require our designers to not start on any of the creative work until all the discovery is done because um Mm -hmm. if you start too early you can't help but ask guiding questions So, so we like to take in as much information as possible before we um, do any, you know, work on any of the creative.
1: It was so cool. That's so smart. I have always just admired branding and designers. Uh, I always wanted to be a graphic designer and that's not where my, my life took me, but um, I do realize that I'm not so good at being able to break out my own style, um, Mm-hmm. As far as like visually, and so I I always put a lot of a lot of time and in, into thinking about like how a brand um, represents itself as far as uh, you know visual aspects and making sure I'm staying true to that. So it's something that that I really admire and and others that are really strong with that quality.
3: Thank you. Um, you know, another, <laughs> another another component of this that I want to bring up is that. You know, when we work with a lot of smaller wine brands, um, more often than not, like, it is about translating people. That That's where the work comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When you work with larger wine brands, especially legacy wine brands, we do a lot of work um, kind of evolving existing packages. And, you know, sometimes in ways that are um, kind of more revolutionary. and others, um, you know, we may be changing a lot of the individual elements, but, like, the sum effect is the customer probably doesn't even notice. Um, so you would think that with that work, that we would actually take the personal out of it. Um, But, but you don't, when we, when we take someone through the visual um, research process, like we ask them to respond from the brand's perspective and from their personal Mm -hmm. perspective. I think that there's oftentimes a tendency with larger projects to remove the personal completely. And then, then the people that are contributing, like, aren't ever really telling you what they truly feel. (laughs) And, 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 and they're not accessing, like, the deep knowledge that they likely have um, if they're only answering from the brand's perspective. And, you know, we make sure as a studio that that we, you know, we don't let, like, the personal make its way into kind of legacy brand work if it's not appropriate. So, like, we act as the filter, but we like to open up the process in such a way where, like, we're able to gather really honest opinions and perspectives.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, Seriously. That's so cool. It's such an interesting way of framing it.
1: Well,
3: there's there's a reason like most larger brand work and most larger packaging work like feel soulless. It's, it's because it's been approached yeah. in a purely objective fashion, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you're just mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what the brand needs, what the company needs, and you're not bringing kind of like any of your personal knowledge to it. Um, so I think especially yeah. with larger brands, like... I mean, first off, you need to hire smart people, right?
1: Yeah, (laughs) have a perspective (laughs) that's valuable
3: to bring to the brand. But, but like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get rid of that perspective. Like, you should encourage it, and you should, you know, also realize Mm -hmm. that like you can filter out what doesn't belong. That can happen later.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
1: and I think also in the wine business, you know, like I won't name any names as far as brands go, but we have a lot of (laughs) of imposter brands that are just like, like bulk wine thrown into a bottle with like a made up whole thing that doesn't really you know we see these brands pop up all the time and they slowly fade or disappear or don't really catch on Um, and it's just for me in the industry it's so it's so easy to pick those brands out when I see you know them like in random spaces I'm just like looking at the back label, like, okay, like, where did this wine come from? Like, where is it produced? And and what is the story here? Because it's sort of like an empty shell. Um, yeah. And I think that that's not as common with smaller producers as it is with, like, larger um, conglomerates that are just sort of, like, mm-hmm. pulling together these, like, shells of brands and trying to to, you know, throw them out in the market at the, like – Sub ten dollar range, um, and it's something that really kind of breaks my heart about the industry because it should be really personal. And you know, we all want to romanticize wine, but any of us who's worked in a cellar knows, knows it's more dirty than romantic.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and you know, and this is a, a great point too. Is that you know what what is if you're I feel like if you're struggling to figure out what's unique about your brand, just like talk to your people because that's, what's unique. Like, you know, the winery down the road doesn't have the same people as you maybe. I mean, I know that there's, there's some winemakers that, that, um, make wine for multiple brands, but, but there's differences between them, right? Like there's differences between the actual brand itself is the people who are bringing it into fruition, So I think that's a really beautiful way of, of looking at, at your branding is like really talking to the people and then, you know, and then throwing out what doesn't feel appropriate later, but starting by having those conversations and bringing the, everyone into the process, I think is so smart and so beautiful. It's a lot of fun. Lindsay, did you have anything else that you wanted to add to that? You know, I think it, you know, you can even, it goes The people and the
2: people in the vineyards and the grapes themselves and the place and the terroir and everything, you know, no two brands are alike. So um, people Mm -hmm. don't necessarily like talking about themselves. So I think certainly talking to others, uh, but throughout the entire process, you know, the people you you walk the the rows with, the people that you're picking at harvest with, um, not just those who are interacting with you with the finished product, but throughout the entire process
1: yeah absolutely yeah oh
0: my gosh, yeah, I'm nodding my head vigorously over here. <laughs> well, I think we'll start kind of wrapping this discussion up um unless you have anything else that you really um Chelsea, do you have any questions that you want to ask?
1: oh man, uh no, I don't think so i mean we've we've talked about a lot of really cool things, you know i I always just sort of think in the perspective of like the brands that I've worked for, um, you know, small family owned, uh, and you know, how, how we can provide value because of course, um, you know, I would want all my clients to work with offset, but, um, you know, I'm always thinking about like when we're having these conversations, like what can, what, what like actionable advice can we give, um, mm-hmm. You know the people listening to this this uh podcast that might maybe feel um a little bit hesitant to you know dive into branding um or maybe they are asking themselves a question like do I need a branding expert? Like, where am I in the process? I'm just sort of interested to hear um, Lindsay and, and Byron, what you what your advice would be to the people who are listening to this podcast um, as far as, you know, welcoming them to reach out to you. Um, and like, what is your, dis- you know, sort of like, um, discovery process of like, whether or not, you should work together or they have the budget or, you know, any advice to, to entrepreneurs out there that might be listening to this podcast and kind of asking themselves like, well, shoot, like what next or what can I do or what should I do? Or, you know, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah. You know, I think that, um, It's good to think about like, so if you're a small brand, like what can you do that a larger brand can't, um, and and to use that as your filter. So, um, you know, for, for example, and this is something that you, you see all the time and and Heather, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this is that oftentimes small (laughs) brands can be much more authentic on social media than a large brand could ever hope to be. So that's where you see a lot of small brands putting their energy and that can be really beneficial. So just, like, coming back to, like, what, what can you do that larger brands can't, I think, is, is a really good place to start. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think another thing that small brands can do is, you know, reach out to people. And this is something that we'd be happy to do. Like, if you just want to have a, a, a conversation, um, you know, and to kind of, like, talk about the different elements of your brand. Um, it's It's amazing how many... Great consultants are willing to just charge by the hour, just to to have a few conversations um, to help clarify, like whatever you know problem you're confronting or questions you're you're pondering. So I think that's also like a really good place to start. Um, you know, I, I think that the one thing um, you know I brought this up before that that is really important to. Um, collaborate with a freelancer or an agency on, and this is something that, that we love to do, that we always reserve time in <laughs> time in our studio for, <laughs> is packaging projects for small producer-led brands. Um, you know, that's something that, that we'd be very open to talking to people about. Um, you know, I think that that's something that um, small brands should also kind of seek out um, great independent designers for that work. Um, that's the type of work that, that we just wouldn't recommend kind of embarking on kind of purely by yourself where, um, kind of a lot of the other elements, like especially storytelling, for example, um, you know, I think that there is a do it yourself aspect that can be really charming, you know, like learning some about some fundamentals of photography, like identifying like who, who already is a great writer within your organization, maybe it's you Mm. like leveraging, like those areas of expertise, um, and building your brand, I think is something that you can absolutely do internally. Um, you know, especially like if you're talking to some key people and getting some great advice, but I think that the, like the core visual identity and packaging component is that it's an area that's really good to work with someone else on. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to echo that a hundred times over, um, just because I do, you know, you've got one first impression. And it's so important to to make that as powerful as you can. And you know there's mm-hmm. a saying that we kind of all like to say is, you know there's there's nothing more expensive than working with um, working with someone who doesn't either you're doing it yourself or doesn't necessarily know what they're doing as it pertains especially to the wine industry. So, um, mm-hmm. even if it's only, you've got a couple thousand dollars, like just really working with somebody to kind of hammer that home so that you've got to not only something that's going to resonate with you that you're proud to talk about, but something that can actually be produced and put onto that bottle and then, you know, further on. Um, so I just, otherwise I think you're going to find yourself circling back and then also kind of, um, having to climb an even higher hill because you're trying to have people learn a new brand versus that one that you went out of the gate with.
0: That's great advice. Is there anything that you, you all want to pitch <laughs> anything cool going on that you want to talk
3: about? <laughs> um, you know, of course people can visit our website, offsetpartners.com. Um, we're actually in the process mm-hmm. of a, <laughs> a rebranding of our company and, and design the new website. Ooh. So I'm not sure when this podcast is launching, but it's, it's possible that when you arrive at the website, um, you'll still be seeing our old website versus our new one. Um, see but um but yeah offsetpartners.com um going to um at offset partners on instagram is another way to have just kind of a quick look through our work um and we also um <laughs> some people know this about us um not not everyone um we're really a unique hybrid like we are a brand design and commerce technology company so a big part of our business is um Figure, which is a commerce platform that we built for the wine industry. Um, because we care so much about brand, like we've been obsessed with carrying the brand experience all the way through to the transaction. So that's something else that um, if people are curious, they can check out. And that's commercebyfigure.com.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's a whole other uh, podcast episode for Heather and I to do with Tyson. Because <laughs> Tyson and I have gone through the Figure product and I, as a marketer, like absolutely love it. I haven't had the pleasure of working in it with a client yet, but, um, yeah, figure for anybody out there listening, that's, you know, um, making a list of e-commerce platforms to, you know, double check, uh, to see which is the right fit for you. Definitely check out figure cause, um, it's a great product and you guys have a, an API with a text messaging platform. So you can actually text through, um, your marketing as well too, which I thought was really cool
0: so cool. Yeah. Oh man. We're for sure going to have to go through that as a second as another podcast episode. So many episodes we're going (laughs) to create. It's going to be great. Um, well, thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Lindsay and Byron for, talking, you know, taking some time out of your day to talk with Chelsea and I about this. And thank you to Chelsea for co-hosting this episode. Um, you ask the questions that I am too scatterbrained to ask myself. And I really appreciate that. This was such a valuable question or such a valuable episode. And, um, I know that the audience is going to get a lot of value out of it and really going to love it. So thank you all so, so much. I really appreciate you taking your
1: time. Oh Oh my gosh. Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. That was such a great conversation. Chelsea, thank you so much for co-hosting this episode with me. You asked some really great questions that I honestly wouldn't have
1: thought of. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Every time we do an episode together, I come up with more great ideas that I want to explore for all of your uh, audience. So I look forward to our next episode together. Yeah, me too.
0: It's going to be so great. I feel like Every single conversation we have always has these really wonderful little nuggets of value. And um, yeah, so excited. Well, that's it for this episode of the Craft & Cluster podcast. If you found this show super valuable, please rate and review it and spread the love by screenshotting, sharing, and tagging at Craft & Cluster and at CBOSS Marketing, S-E-A-B-O-S-S Marketing on Instagram. And to make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. I'll see you next Monday. Bye. Hey there. You just listened to the Craft & Cluster podcast, a production of Craft & Cluster owned exclusively by me, Heather Danitz. The opinions and statements in this show are those of me and any guests that appeared on the Craft & Cluster podcast and are for entertainment purposes only. I cannot guarantee any particular result or return on investment based on any statement from this show, but what I can guarantee is my extreme psychitude that you are still listening to this, even though the episode has ended and this is clearly a disclaimer. You are super dedicated. I like that about you.